Welcome, welcome to the Shopway Show, 7 p.m. on the East Coast. So you got to look at my mug. I know some of you are a little upset with me right now. You're like, wait a minute, Larry. You haven't been live in like two days. That's true. But I gave you some cool stuff to look at, so don't be too mad at me. And I was at a bunch of veteran things. So I was doing vet stuff because I'm a vet, so don't be too mad at me. But it's okay because I've made up for it today. I have with me a super cool guest that I've made up for all my sins of the past. Now this makes up for it. The man himself, the president of Downsize DC, already liking him, the editor-in-chief of the Advocates for Self-Government and a co-creator of the Zero Aggression Project. Can you beat these names? You just can't. The man himself, Jim Babka. How are you, sir? I'm excellent. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And guys, if you like what we're going to be talking about, you know we are. Do me a favor. Do the like, comment, share thing. It's how I get past constantly being shadow banned is by people like you liking, commenting, and sharing. Do that so I don't get shadow banned. And you say you love me, so prove it. Like, comment, share. And it's free. So I got to ask you a couple of questions. And I think the one I want to bring up more than anything, Jim, is when people think about downsizing DC and even hearing that mm-hmm. or any of those things, I think most people think naturally about something like, well, let's get rid of regulation or let's, um, you know, um, let's cut taxes. I think that's what people think of. But you actually focus on something that I thought was very interesting. The idea of criminalization. Yes. The idea that that there are phony crimes, right? That concept. And that's a big chunk of downsized DC that I didn't think was part of. Like I went there assuming, oh, you're going to cut taxes. That's where I thought when I went there. And then I realized, no, this is about the idea that of government overreach more than just cutting regulation or taxes. Am I wrong here? No, no, absolutely not. Um, the natural law is are those things that are wrong across all cultures, across all times. We know that they're wrong. And they usually are property or injury-related uh, crimes. Sure. Uh, we probably include some forms of cheating in that mix, too, like defrauding sure. people, conning them, uh, because those are acts of theft as well. Absolutely. And then there's a whole host of things that are not natural. And the law, and what we, and we use the term law, uh, when Congress passes something or or even you now in the last, you know, here in the last couple hours, when the president dictates it and says, I'm going to have my agency hand down this mandate. Um, we, we end up calling these things laws, but they're not. They're not natural laws. Oh, and, I see. OK. And so uh, and, 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 the, and these and, and we can tell and there, there's two there's a way to test for this. So if I can put 12 people in a box we call it a jury, and the jury rules unanimously that a crime's been committed, you probably have a crime, right? I disagree completely. No, hold on, hold on. Oh, I, I have been, you on, put, I've been on juries. and I've, I understand I've, why you're saying that. I understand why you're saying that. But it okay, was, go ahead. The point is that it's near universal. These ideas are near universal. Everybody agrees murder's wrong. It's 99% you would pull it, right? Yeah, I agree. Everybody yeah. agrees with that. Everybody agrees yeah. that rape is wrong. Everybody agrees yep. that vandalism of somebody else's property is wrong. Everybody agrees on these things. You have near universal agreement. 
And you would have to get a conviction of jury. If we had a cultural shift, let me put it that way, where everybody recognized oh, okay. this distinction. Okay. Got it. On the other hand, we have a whole host of things that are not with that, don't have that unanimity. They don't, maybe 40% of the people agree, or even 50% of the people agree. Sure. Right. And you can get somebody elected to a public office with a plurality. You don't even need a majority to do it. That's okay? true. Yes. But once you do that, you have 100% of the power, as Joe Biden is attempting to illustrate this afternoon, right? Even though he was not elected by uh, a majority of the Americans, like he doesn't have that, you know, 90 or 100% support, he still right. is acting as if he has 100% of the power. Right. And those things inevitably create culture wars, battles. People will get very upset. Oxes get gored, Right. And so we can tell that those things are not natural laws. Uh, the specific, specific point we make at Downsize DC is that if there is no victim, mm -hmm. there's no crime. I and, love that. Yes. And so uh, we have a whole host of people that are in prison. Uh, we have the largest prison population on the planet uh, yep. in terms of sheer size. Uh, it's far more than, you know, co than communist China or Russia yep. or any of the other places that we decry for human rights. But let me and, walk down this road for a second. I want to stay yeah. on this jury thing. I don't want to walk away from the jury thing. Yeah. Because I, I have literally consulted with defense attorneys, and yes. I have watched juries put people away. Yeah, I, I was sloppy in how I said that. I was sloppy in how I said that. If, if we away. had an understanding of what the natural law was, if yeah. the 12 jurors understood that, and they understood and, nullification, and so this is where you I would have a lot harder time on a drug on. charge, for example. I, I, want, I want to stay here on this for a second, mm -hmm. because I think... The reason why I said it and what you said is correct. The sad part is we are very far away from that. Most Americans still to this day think if it's a law, it's not violence. They think if it's, well, we voted on it, so it's not violence, even though it clearly is, right? We voted that if you have a plant in your pocket that someone right. says is a bad plant, that you get to have your life ruined. Therefore, when the cops take you, that's not considered violence. That's how the average person thinks of it. And they also say, well, it's a law and you broke it. Therefore, you should go to jail even though there's no victim. And what I'm saying is, I think there's a lot of people who still believe that. And my, and my worry is, how far away are we? Oh, wow. We're very far away. I think what you just described is what most people believe. Yeah. Um, increasingly, what I want to get people to understand is that uh, democracy is not the best way necessarily to solve all problems. Politics is almost is always the worst way to solve a given problem. <laughs> yes. And if we could get people to understand that, and there's a number of reasons to believe it. But if we can get people at, at various levels to understand that and to recognize what is and is not a law. Um, those are cultural changes we need to make. And sure. they proceed. They always proceed political change. So, you know, I'm arguing from a position where people actually understood this position yeah. because, we're, you know, it was funny because in the, in the pre, pre uh, run up to the show, you know, we had a discussion about, you know, an issue that I don't enjoy talking about. Right. And 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 that particular issue, which happens to be abortion, is really laden with this question that you're never going to be able to settle this. There's no I cultural said we wouldn't talk about it and you brought I know, it up anyway. <laughs> I know I brought it up. But it's, it's the perfect example of the issue. You know, so I'm, I'm on a radio show discussing it a week and a half ago, and my cons I, I explained to the host that who was pro-life that he had a lot of work to do. 
And it wasn't in changing laws or what they did in Texas. He had a lot of work to do because he didn't have that cultural consensus. Yeah. It wasn't considered manslaughter, let alone murder, right. by enough Americans that it would it would fall in a disrepute and the empathy wasn't placed where it was supposed to be. Empathy is a very big question of all this. Empathy oh, is a source, yes. of, it's a source of your rights. Yep. Um, it's how you get rights. It's how people recognize that you, certain things should not happen to you or are unjust if they happen to you. Because they believe it shouldn't happen to them. Them and, and you. I mean, they may still, you know, they can think of their family. They can think of people they care about. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an identification process. Right. Uh, the classic definition of empathy is walk, walking in someone else's shoes. Right. Um, let me let me walk down the road if I could, though. But isn't there a part of, of Americans still even go one step further? That feels like there's like a a debt to society, right? That that society is the victim, yes. right? So it's not it's not you, Jim, but the greater good. Haven't we heard that before a bazillion times? Mm-hmm. It's the Jim. Why are you so selfish? It's the greater good. Your right. rights aren't that important because the other people are going to be hurt. Don't we hear that often? Yeah, and I'm you know, boy, you're asking some great questions to start us off here. Uh, this this is. <sighs> This is a vital issue. Um, mm-hmm. You don't owe a debt to society. The, the, just pure and simple, you don't. Uh, and this is something that is that is wrong with our justice system. Uh, there's a uh, TED Talk I happen to enjoy. It features Adam Foss. Okay. He's a progressive. He's very progressive. I just I I disagree with him on almost all of his politics. But the talk itself, if you find it on YouTube, is incredibly moving. Because he describes his mother and a young man who ends up getting stabbed, who's been through the entire public system, the schools, the, uh, the, the foster system, the criminal justice system, the juvenile and then adult, who ends up getting stabbed. They, they, both these events happen in a relatively the same time span and within uh, a mile or so of each other. And he explains how in his mother's case, she had the best medical care mm-hmm. and the difference between Stone Age medical care and lasers, okay? We still have a Stone Age justice system. Yes. We don't have the lasers. And in his argument is that the prosecutor's job is not to get convictions. The prosecutor's job is not to score points and advance their political career. They have a duty to all the parties that are involved in the transaction. This is what really moves me. They have a duty to all the parties that are involved in that situation, bad as it is. So obviously the victims, uh, to some degree the community, but but also, and here's the surprising part, the criminal, the person who has been charged. And they have a, a, a duty to kind of restore that community, to bring everybody back into balance. So the, the person who has committed the crime, if there has none of that, be, none of that, I'm, I'm going to step real fast. None of that is true in reality. The no, and he's a former prosecutor. Pros- yes, most prosecutors don't give a damn about exactly. anything except their, their conviction rate. I actually had, I heard a prosecutor actually say these words. They said, he's innocent until proven broke. That's oh, his true. words. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's innocent until proven broke. This was a prosecutor who said this. Yeah. So, yeah. That's so there's, their, job, their job should be to come in and heal and, and, and try to bring all those parties together. Yeah. So the first thing is we have to identify that there is an actual victim so that there is something that we have to heal. Right. And then we have the crime. And now we have somebody accused of the crime. And yes, they should be brought to justice. But bringing them to justice 
shouldn't mean, you know, putting a scarlet letter on them for the rest of their life so they can't ever get a job, for example. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And so the, the real person who is owed the debt in that situation is the victim. And we know that when we set up the, the, the transaction this way and we, we back it up with a restorative justice program where maybe there's an attempt for dialogue between the parties, that these that parties idea. begin to understand each other. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm victimized by some crime, but I sit down and I say, look, what you, you know, in, in the meeting and, and the duty is that they have to listen. You've really hurt my family. You've done this. You've done that. You've done the other thing to me. And then they come back and they start telling their story. And I find out, holy cow, it's really sad. And in the case of the story that Adam Foss was telling, this young man moved to the, uh, came from a, a different country. Mm-hmm. English was not his first language at eight, year, eight years of age, was dropped immediately into a public school system where he was not able to keep up. Yep. And he got in trouble. Yep. And one thing, he got bounced around from, from different places, you know, and family and like frequently happens in many of these situations. And he had a sad story to tell. And if you... These crimes didn't necessarily happen in a vacuum. This person's behavior didn't no, occur in a vacuum. Not. Right. So there's an opportunity there for people to begin understanding each other. And where there's where this has been attempted, uh, I believe it's been done in Oregon, and it's also been done outside the country, where this approach has been attempted, parties report feeling a sense of healing. They Absolutely. report feeling a sense of understanding and empathy for each yep. other. Yep. And recidivism. This is the thing. If you want, if you care about society, recidivism plummets for people yep. who've been through this program. And I so, remember when they had the damages in Rwanda, um, the Civil War. They had, no, they, had, they had no way of putting everyone in prison. Literally, they had a million people who were killed. And are you going to put half your male population in prison for murder? How are you going to rebuild your country? Right? You, right. right? How are you, you going to have the guards to guard the million people? Right? You, just, right. you can't put half your people in prison if you're Rwanda trying to survive from a civil war. So one of the things they tried, and it was not perfect, but it was something. But you said they actually had apology courts where they people would come in and say crazy things like, and, but it was honest, like, I'm sorry I hacked your sister to death because they had done that and they were trying to make that happen. It, it was not perfect. But compared to a system where you just punish everybody who did bad things, it was a better system and one that could function versus let's lock up half our male population. So half of our bills at Downsize, or half of the proposals that we have at at Downsize DC at present are dealing with criminal justice. And I would say that our long-term goal is to reduce uh, dramatically the prison population. Uh, That would be the indicator or sign of our success because a staggering number of these people are there for victimless crimes. Yes. Um, a staggeringly high number of them are nonviolent offenses. Yep. Most of the, a great many of the offenses that occurred could, uh, some form of rest, restitution could have actually been the solution. So they're, they're, I'm not saying that everybody that's there doesn't belong there. There, there are definitely some people who do. There are some bad people who should not yep. be out. That's true. Yep. Yep. Um, but, but that's not the majority. No, that's not the majority. But this is not a system that heals. And worse, we know that once people get out, we know that they're branded for the rest of their yep. life and they find it very hard to advance and move on. And, 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 and the worst of these cases really are the drug war. We've treated this like the yep. most heinous of crimes. They have the largest sentence and the biggest scarlet letter attached to them. So let me take a couple of comments if, if I could. And by the way, if you guys are interested, please head over to DownsizeDC.org to check out what they're doing there. See if you like what, what, what they're doing there. Check it out. They got a lot of good stuff going on. 
I think you'll enjoy it. And of course, like and comment and share if you care about me. I know you do care because you wouldn't be watching if you didn't. <laughs> so like, comment, and share. It's a good idea. Please do that to the best of your ability. Uh, if I grab a couple comments here, um, Michael says, love your shows, Larry. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So, yes. Um, Pete says, unfortunately, we're heading the opposite way really fast. I think he's right. I feel like the government just keeps getting bigger, particularly Pete's a New Yorker. So he sees my state, our budget getting bigger, our population getting smaller. It feels like it's not working. Do you think it's it's working, Jim? Or, or is Are me and Pete wrong? Is it working or what? No, the system's failing us entirely. It's a bad system. It's a flawed system. It's And it's gotten worse uh, in, yeah. in some ways, uh, not better. There we go. Uh, Corey says, I was also on a criminal jury. I had to argue with the prosecution not proving their case. The defendant could, couldn't be voted guilty. I remember the jury I was on, and I was an alternate. So I heard the entire thing. I, there was, it, it was one gangbanger's eyewitness versus another gangbanger eyewitness. Second-degree murder charge, if I remember it right. No gun, no other witnesses, no weapon. No motive. Guilty. Yeah. No no motive. No weapon. One eyewitness who's another gay manger. Guilty. I was like, wow. How how is that? And that was a jury. Again, just some gay man goes, yeah, that's the guy. That guy's life's over. I mean, maybe he did it. I don't know if he did it. When I when I look at the evidence they gave us, it was just one gangbanger saying he did it. That's it. That's not good enough for me. But anyway, that, that's what happened. So, yes. Um, I, I want to go to a, a couple more, if, if I could. Craig brings up jury nullification. And I think that's where you were kind of going, Jim, the idea of jury nullification. But I got to be forward with you. In New York State, the judges literally tell you that's illegal. You can't do that. When the judges well, in New Hampshire, jury, they do the opposite. Yeah, so, in New York, yeah, they actually say you may not do that. The judge tells the jury you may not do that. It doesn't matter if you broke the law. You must vote guilty no matter what you think. They actually tell you the opposite. And it, during the uh, jury picking, they ask you if you think it's not a crime, they remove you. That's right. you. They remove you if you would do you. So you to do jury nullification in New York State, you have to lie and then go against judge's order. Uh, no, you don't have to lie. You have to answer carefully. I would prefer. You're that. asking a lot for the average person, but yes, you're right. Re Reason actually did a piece on this uh, in the yeah. magazine a couple of years ago about how to answer these questions. Yes, yeah, so maybe we should all read that Reason magazine article. Yes, but yes, yes. that that is a a a a a piece. I I, I like that. Yes. Um, let's see if I uh, if I can grab this. Um, Dustin's on board. I like that. So he's liking it. Thanks, Dustin's Dustin. on board. That's Thank good. You. He's on board. We're good there. So, yes. Um, Joseph says they're interested in their own careers because self-interest governs everyone. He's talking about the prosecutors. You know, I agree self-interest mm -hmm. governs people, but it isn't just career self-interest. It's also, you know, your own happiness self-interest. It's also living with yourself. You don't do everything, Joseph, for cash. You do some things for cash, I'm sure, because you want to pay your bills, but you also do things that, Make you feel good. Things that make you think differently. Things that, you know, help your family out and all types of things. Uh, Jim, am I wrong here? No. Uh, you know, there's two other things we should be thinking about. One is uh, community morality. 
mm. that prosecutor believes that they're doing the right thing. Yes. If, if computer, if if the community morality shifted, then maybe they wouldn't believe they're doing the, the right thing. And we are seeing this, for example, with how we're doing policing right now. There are some shifts in how we're recogn- looking at police and their jobs and their work, and that is affecting uh, how policing is being done and and yeah. because of how they're perceived. Um, and the other thing is 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 what are the incentives? If the incentive for the prosecutor is to get the scores, you know, and if he's in trouble, if he doesn't, then, you know, we shouldn't be surprised by the outcome that we're getting. So if, if, they, if the if the incentives were changed where it's like uh, we're going to look at your recidivism, right, that's what we're really going to be concerned about. Yes. We're going to look at the ratings of how victims and 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 convicts talk to each other. Right. And the, if, if we're going to look at those kinds of things, well, then that might change. Dramatically. To change the incentives, basically, yeah. and change the system yet again. Yep. Got it. Mitch says, what happens when the victim's story is just as sad as the offender, as often happens in inner city areas? I think it's a valid question, right? Does does that affect, and should that affect, whether yep. how the person's charged or, you know, the, the punishment they receive? Does that should that change it or or is the damage still the damage? Right. If if I shot somebody and they can't walk now, regardless of my story, that person can't walk anymore. So is is there an issue with that or no? So where we were talking about the understanding was in this one specific vein where there was an ability for both parties to sit down and talk to one another and and how that how that reduced recidivism, how that caused understanding to occur between both parties. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't wipe the slate in any way. In fact, anytime a crime has occurred and injuries happened, the justice system is very, we have to understand this, recognize this is very weak and inadequate. It does yeah. not restore. What it does is it tries to come close as possible to fixing what is broken, but something was broken. Yeah. So for example, if you get attacked or whatever unit with PTSD, as a result of your being attacked, you know, we can't necessarily fix that. But, you know, you also had your wallet stolen while it happened. You know, maybe we can get your, the, the contents of your wallet replaced, right? So it's right. an attempt to take mm-hmm. something that broke and then bring it up as close as we can. We're never going to get perfectly even. You're never going to, it's, that event is not going to unhappen. Well, let me go to, to Mitch's point. I think our system is set up it doesn't work this way, but kind of deal with that, right? At prior to prior to sentencing, right? A some the convict who was convicted s- says something. He, he speaks, right? He talks on his behalf. And what's supposed to happen is he speaks, and hopefully, if he's if he's found guilty, he's able to give the victim some form of closure or feel better. I'm sorry. I hurt you or something like that. And if the judge believes the person actually has learned something or is better, he, the judge may, he or she may be more lenient upon the sentencing or change the sentencing. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. But it doesn't happen. The, the guy says something, the judge calls him names and goes through a rubric and decides what he's going to do. So, but I think there is a part of that to Mitch's point that, we were supposed to trying to include is it can can what he says provide some closure to the victim and can we give this person a second chance or not? I think a lot of that's gone away if there was ever any of it. 
the way I prefer to look at it is that there's a tragedy that's occurred on both sides. And I don't think anybody who committed a crime is better off for having done it. Uh, You know, you can point to maybe the the uh, tangible and obvious. Well, they've got more money now because they stole your wallet. Right. But there's other things that they sacrificed in terms of their own dignity. Uh, And I believe that we have a service shaped hole inside us. Right. We have a need to be of value. And I know you're going to talk about this in your book on happiness, Mm -hmm. how you have to find your purpose in this world. And a lot of the things that the state does, and this is also true of crime, uh, criminals and the life they live, takes away these service opportunities from us to be of value to humanity. And this reaffirms and lifts us up and helps us be emotionally healthy and stable. There can't, it's impossible that if you're routinely committing crimes, that that stuff isn't starting to bleed off into your personal life in a variety of ways and in your private internal life, your soul in a variety of ways. So I refuse to believe that somebody who is engaged in these kinds of behaviors on a routine basis is actually happy and is happier oh, you, or better off for having done it. You've said something. You've said that the government actually steals our happiness. That to me is a, I think it's a true statement, but it's not a statement most people will make, but you actually were like, they sometimes steal our happiness. And I think you're right, but I think part of it isn't, I think when you someone hears they assume, yeah, when they put you in jail or yeah, when they take away, you know, your um your money for taxes or something. But I think it's to what you just said. When they stop us from servicing, when they break our communities, when they break our home, I think that's when they're actually stealing our stealing our happiness. I've said many times that whenever you add government, you by default remove community. That's kind of mm-hmm. how it works. You don't get yes. both, right? Yes. And that was the point that I was kind of driving at, because I believe in this this idea of a service service shaped hole within us. We we come to this planet not necessarily knowing what our purpose or meaning in life is. And and a big part of our life, especially when we're younger, is trying to figure out who we are and what it is that we do and what we contribute. And finding that out is a part of our happiness. We also know from significant amount of study that uh, acts of, of of compassion, acts of giving, acts of service. Um, uh, increase our happiness. And mm, one yes. of the points that I would include in this, Larry, is that because the state does so many of these welfare functions, the things that people would normally do in community organizations between neighbors as a part of their yep. church, et cetera, because the state does so much of this, there are far fewer opportunities or people do not believe that they should take advantage of the opportunities that are available because, well, after all, there's a government program for that, right? Yeah. And so they're not filling this service-shaped hole that they have inside themselves. And so we can't even see the robbery that's going on and, and the, and the mm. damage to culture and our psychology yes. both that are occurring. But I believe that's another theft that's happening. But I think we did see it. I'm going to – let me give you a little pushback. I think we did see it, and we saw it with the COVID lockdowns, right? Okay. The COVID lockdowns happened, and we were lost. Our communities – Many, not all, but many of our communities have lost the institutional knowledge to service ourselves. So mm-hmm. when we were stuck, what I mean, I know you're a big fan of homeschooling, but we don't know how to yes. homeschool in New York. We yeah. have no idea how to homeschool. New York. So our kids just literally like a million kids just stopped going to school like it just ended in New York State. Mm-hmm. We had a bunch of problems with that. We didn't know how to support ourselves. We don't. We didn't have local doctors to help us out. We couldn't do anything. We struggled horribly because yeah. our communities were not able to to support each other. That, that's not a hundred percent. 
But I think a lot of communities saw that and we desperately collapsed that. So I think the COVID lockdowns did kind of spark that. Am I off here? Tell me if I'm wrong. No, I think you're completely on. I just, my point is that there are so many different ways in which this is hidden. We can't see the damage that's being done to it. And I I agree with you. That's one we can see. Yeah. And, 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 and I like how you illustrated it, but this, this idea that I, I just, I, I don't hear enough libertarians talking about this idea that the state through its, its welfare institutions is actually robbing us of being compassionate. Yeah. It's reducing yes. those opportunities. It's reducing the amount of it. And, and correspondingly, because of the high tax rates that come along with this system uh, and the, and the, and the, those taxes include what they do to our dollar because of that, we have to spend more time working as opposed mm. to being able to do some of the stuff that we might've done in service yes. to neighbor. Absolutely. Well, AJ's on the side. AJ loves this show. So that's good. <laughs> there we go. AJ loves this show. That's all good. Um, it looks like, though, uh, I'm going to ambulance. This must be ambulance. Ambulance. I am hating watching every minute. Hate how stupid our government is, Larry. And I agree with you, right? I say it's about New York State. This is a New York thing. I'm going to talk about it real fast. New York State is a beautiful state with everything you could imagine in the largest city in the entire country, beautiful mountains, falls, beaches, forests, skiing, farmland, whatever you love, whatever's your thing, New York state has it. But our government is so oppressive and so bad that people are leaving in droves. They're leaving a beautiful state, not because the state's not beautiful, but because our government is so bad. Yep. Horrible. So um, let me move, if I could, to something else, if I could, for a second. Yeah. This is the Zero Aggression Project. Oh, thanks. Now, the Zero Aggression Project, I felt like you were kind of biting off the nap. So it's not the NAP, but it's the ZAP. Yeah. It's the ZAP. So it's zap cooler. The like, yeah, yeah, ZAP the state. Have a nice day. <laughs> I like that. ZAP yes. the state. I love that. That's yeah. so good. I love that. But the idea of of not being aggressive, and I got to take a second, if I could, since we're bringing that up, the idea of not being aggressive, if I could, for a second, talk about the political affiliation quiz. Now, I know a lot of you, you guys, I've been telling you guys for a long time to take the world's smallest political quiz, and you've been doing it. Thank you. Now I'm changing. I want you to go to this link right now that is in the description and take the world, I'm sorry, the political affiliation quiz. It's a little bit different, a little bit longer. It's going to take you about three to four minutes versus one minute. Taking, you're going to see kind of where you land in a very different way. Now, Jim, you know, but it's because you are also part of um, these, these organizations. Tell me a little bit about it. It uh, tells you something very, very important about the solution. I, I imagine there's a, a sizable number of your audience that are libertarian. Yep. But it, I'd like to take a second to speak to those who are not. Maybe you're more progressive. Oh. Let, let me give you, if I could, about the breakdown. The breakdown of this audience is about 50% of the audience is going to be self-identified libertarians. Okay. About 30% is going to be the conservative or Republican who lean liberty. And yep. about 15% are either progressives or Democrats who lean liberty. And it's 5% that's kind of, I don't know what, they're just up there. So the, the point that I want to make, and I want to talk more to the people who are not uh, libertarian for a moment, is that... You may have values that you would normally, on a personal level, identify as being progressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're concerned about justice or injustice in society. You're concerned about compassion-related issues that would make you a progressive, right? 
Uh, you may be a conservative, and so you're more concerned about the institutions that help teach the values. And you want to make sure that those values are carried on and the traditions that are attached to those values that train and teach the future generations, you want those carried on. And you want a certain level of order. Those, those are values that are generally associated with progressive and conservative, respectively, right? Yep, absolutely. Then there's th- those are personal values. Then there's social values. Oh, Your social okay. values is how you choose to go about solving those problems. And we Got only it. have a choice. We only have two options that we can choose. We can use persuasion or force to get what we want. We can cooperate yep. with other people. We can try to sell our case. We can make our best arguments or we can put we can pull out a gun and force people to do something. That's what the state does. So on a social level, we can choose persuasion or force. We can choose to be a Republican or Democrat, which means we've chosen the force route. We're going to grab the gun or we can choose the libertarian route. Now, we don't have to give these up. I like to say that it's possible at a libertarian meeting for the pastor and the pornographer to sit in the very same row with each other, laugh and have fun and enjoy each other's company. Right. Different people come together under the libertarian banner, not giving up their personal values, mm-hmm. but recognizing that everyone is pursuing happiness as they see fit, that we were all given free will by our creator, and that we can respect one another as we're trying to pursue and figure out our way through this world. We don't have to point guns at each other. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that the pastor and the pornographer couldn't have a serious conversation about what each is doing sure. and try to persuade each other because they have those personal <laughs> values. So what this political affiliation test is about is demonstrating that you have values that are libertarian. You have libertarian values throughout. You don't want to go out. Most people do not want to go, and they wouldn't do it personally, point a gun at someone else to get something done. And somebody has to do that. If we pass the law, if we make this mandate a reality, somebody has to be willing to do that. And if that person resists, like Eric Garner, they're going to have to be killed. Yep. And so most people wouldn't do that. And most people, if they were forced to confront the cost, would choose a different social value, we think. And so the political affiliation quiz is saying, don't choose the Republican value. Don't choose the Democrat value. Choose your own values, the ones you've had all along and use persuasion, cooperation, figure out how to interact and work. And even, by the way, learn from people who are different than you. So you guys got to listen to what Jim said. You got to go there. Click that link. Take the quiz. And here's the most important thing. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say it anyway. You got to share it afterwards, right? You got to take it and you got to show others where you landed. Tell them about it to move this forward. You guys like this show. I know you do. That's why you're watching and you want to keep keep it on, uh, keep it going. Take that quiz. It does matter. Share it. In fact, tomorrow I'm going to take it live. I'll take it live tomorrow. We'll go through the entire thing and you'll see that I'm obviously right and you are all wrong. That's how that'll work. So anyway, Corey says, <laughs> I love the quizzes. So that's a good thing because he goes to a bunch of them too. I do, I do appreciate that. Absolutely. So I went down to the Zero Aggression Project because there's a thing you talk about there, which I love. And I want you to bring it up here. And that is agenda setting theory. The idea of kind of like the media and the government kind of deciding how we think by the way they ask questions and kind of by the, by the way they pick topics that we're supposed to care about and stuff like that. Walk down that road. All right. I just need to tell your audience I'm sucking on cough drops because I had COVID last month and the cough is still with me. 
So I, I had gotten a lot better by the time when we scheduled this interview, but the last few days I have regressed a bit on my cough. Everything else is great. It's because so, it's because COVID was scared of me. It's fine. No yeah. worries. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. So I'm glad you brought this up because Downsize DC is actually agenda setters by Downsize DC for this reason. And, and, and so when people go to downsizedc.org, the very first thing they'll see is agenda setters because we're making an argument over there that you should be the one to set the agenda instead of being led around by the mills by the media. Yes, 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 yes. Um, <clears throat> this is actually a huge topic for me. We could have spent the whole hour on it. And I want to praise you for the time that we have spent together already because we haven't been agenda driven. <clears throat> Most media, I was just, you know, I was at Freedom Fest. You were there too. Yep. And I got to sit down with Jerry Boyer. And I actually knew of Jerry Boyer back in the late aughts because he was a regular guest on CNBC, particularly on Larry Kudlow's show. Mm-hmm. And Jerry told me that everything was about conflict there too, that uh, it was the bulls versus the bears, right? That mm-hmm. was the conflict over there. And this is what our politics does. It tries to divide us into teams and it tells us what the headlines are. And the headlines, agenda setting theory is actually well-established. And you go look at some of the great Wikipedia entry on it. But we've talked about this some over the Zero Aggression Project, too. It means that the issues that are being discussed are the ones the media chose for us. Yeah. And I've worked in talk radio. I've done some, uh, some work there. I know the game. You get up and you look at, at what we used to say back in the day is above the fold. It's the stuff that's at the top of the Drudge Report, the stuff that's at the top of, you know, of, of the Washington Post, the New York Times, right. et cetera, et cetera. You're looking at those articles, and then you're trying to find an angle, the conflict angle, to make the phones ring. And this is how most things work. And this is how almost all of our political coverage works. Yep. And consequently, it means we are not focusing on a whole host of issues that are important. And we don't have strong opinions and passions in those levels because we haven't been angered and upset somehow by the media who set the agenda for us. I would encourage people to check out Agenda Setting Theory because what you're going to find out is that you've been spending a lot of your life being led around by the nose. It's a big wake up moment. If you that. also Hold on. Corey just noticed something. Yeah. Corey just noticed that I changed mugs. You're right, I did. This one, <laughs> this one is coffee. This one's water. So when I get my frog in my throat, I drink water, but I still drink coffee to stay up. So I'm a big coffee drinker. I drink at least three cups a day. When I'm on campaign, I drink six to nine a day. Wow. It's insane when I'm on campaign. Wow. So when I campaign, I live on caffeine and protein. That's how I survive. That's how I can survive doing. We found out I did over 300 events last time I ran. So it was a lot. So, yes, um, I have two of them. He's like, you should advertise on them. I actually should have thought of that. I I actually have Sharpway mugs, and I sometimes carry the Sharpway mugs, but I just forgot to. This one used to have a Neosage. This is my company, Neosage. This used to be a Neosage mug, but it's rubbed off. I've had it for like 10 years. Anyway, sorry, way off topic, but I just want to make sure that my chat is taken care of. That was important. Care. And, pay and attention. Yeah, something should go on those mugs. I think that's the thing that we've learned tonight. I Larry's mug right. should have – these are promotional opportunities, Larry. I can't I'm believe you didn't up. think of that. I'm messing up, Jim. That's okay. My people <laughs> kept me straight. Yes, Corey they got did. Me straight. Yes. Very good. But I want to stay on this piece. I want to move to the next level of this because you said something that people have said, but you say it openly. You've literally said the government and the media lie when it comes to war. We have just and that's uh, a big statement, yeah. right? That's we a just big statement. A series on this today for people to check yes. out. I um, agree with you, but I'm just saying that's 
That's a big thing to say. In uh, late 2002, uh, George W. Bush said that if we did not act against Iraq, the, the consequences of it would be a large mushroom cloud over an American city. He said that in October of 2002 in Cincinnati, Ohio. That was part of the hype and the buildup to war. Colin Powell went before the United Nations in the beginning of February uh, 2003 and laid out a case demonstrating that there was an active nuclear program, that Saddam was close to building nuclear weapons. This was nationally televised. It was on all the networks. And the Congress gave an authorization to permit uh, the attack, which and the subsequent war in Iraq and the nation building that followed all of it. It was based on lies. And what you find again and again is two things. Almost all of our wars were based on some kind of lie. Uh, This goes all the way back uh, to Spotty Lincoln uh, saying, you know, pointing out that, you know, that President Polk uh, trying to start his Mexican war could not actually identify where the attack had occurred. Uh, remember the Maine, which started the Spanish-American oh, War? right. Yes. Where an explosion occurred, and it was blamed on the Spanish, but it was probably a boiler that blew up uh, that caused it. The Gulf of Tonkin, which was yes, used to absolutely. escalate uh, uh, the Vietnam War. Again and again and again, we have been lied into war. We have been told things that were not true, that were designed to get us upset. First Gulf War, there were babies allegedly pulled out of incubators. We have senators saying this was compelling testimony. The problem was the get the girl who came and gave that testimony was actually a, a Kuwaiti employee's daughter who was not in Kuwait at the mm-hmm. time that it happened. I mean, you could keep doing this again and again and again. But, but let me res- touch. Let me let me get the put the pushback again mm-hmm. because I remember myself after nine eleven. And when we wanted to invade Afghanistan, then I was all for it. I was like, yeah, invade Afghanistan. Get Osama and the guys. I was all on board, right? I literally, I was in New York City. I, I saw the second plane hit. I was all about it. I was, you know, really upset and angry, right? And, but when it came to Iraq, I didn't believe it. However, that's very loud what you're doing right now. Oh, sorry. I was grabbing another cough drop. That's <laughs> okay. Sorry. No all good. Um, I apologize. I, I, was, I, I wasn't all for Iraq. I kind of thought that it wasn't real, but I think I didn't care. Right? I think I'd become numb, if that makes any sense. Makes I think sense. in 2002, 2003, I think I was numb. I was just like, I guess we got to do this. I, I I guess. I think that's where my head was. Now, looking back, I can't stand it. We did either of them. Right. But then I'm telling you where I believe my head was then. In 2000, I was Harry Brown's press secretary when he was the nominee for the Libertarian Party for president of the United States. He, in 1996 and 2000 campaigns in both of his books, had indicated repeatedly to people and to libertarian audiences to applause that we were going to have an attack on American soil at some point. It was inevitable that there was going to be a bad attack where Americans would die and there would be a call for war because we were over there. You've heard the theory that if we're not over there, they'll be over here. Yes. It was the fact that we were over there that caused them to be over here. 100%. 
Yes. And yes. when 9-11 happened, this was actually a big epiphany for me because I came, I started out as a conservative and, and moved into the libertarian movement uh, as a disgruntled conservative because they weren't living up to their principles and moved in the libertarian movement. And this was a big, big moment for me because on the day after 9-11, Harry wrote a column titled, When Will We Learn? While everybody else was saying, kill him and look right. at all the tragedy, he was saying, wait a minute, yep. hold on. This was predictable. Yeah, and this is the and and we're about to make things worse. Yep. Of course, this got a lot of pushback, and there were even libertarians that like you know stopped supporting us, and you know all the rest of the stuff. Like we we yep. we got a ton of bad pushback. But I also have to say, it was his most published article ever. It, it traversed the world. It got translated into other languages. It became a series, which led subsequently to another series because people were writing an objection, and there were so many good questions and things to address and answer at the time. And my mind began to turn at that point. So by 2003, we started a website called Truth About War to try to point out before Iraq started what was happening. We ran ads in, in seven or eight American cities and in a half dozen of them, we were kicked out because we could only afford our budget only permitted us to buy for one week. And sure. even in San Francisco, they were like, we're getting too much negative pushback. We won't sell you another week. Um, and so we, we, we'd have to go from city to city. I got death threats uh, because of it. Um, uh, because we were pushing back uh, against this, uh, against the narrative. People in yep. France were hearing some of the story, but in our press, we weren't getting the full story. Uh, yes. the, the, the regime media was very much on board because a war is good for their business and a war is good for a president's long-term uh, legacy. And yep. there's all kinds of power, as we know. Libertarians are familiar with the phrase, war is the health of the state. So there's all kinds of opportunities uh, yes. that come along with it. Uh, so you know, we have to stay at war. And it was amazing because by uh, 2008, it was already the case, definitely by 2012, that the predictions and the statements that we had made uh, on truthaboutwar.org, which is frozen in time. People can go back and look at it. When mm. the shooting started, we froze it. Um, they can go back and look at what we said. And it seems like ho-hum, like, yeah. But at the time, the things that we were saying, such as, you know, Saddam doesn't have nuclear weapons, that was... Uh, very risky, considered very risky and earth shattering at that moment. Yeah, like, that's impossible. How, how could you guys sitting at, at that time in a basement in Alexandria is where our offices were? How could you know uh, these things when all the, you know, the American intelligence and our leaders and our media don't know this? You know, they're not reporting this. And uh, yeah. the truth is, I, I know that governments tend to lie. So we have just you brought up the zero aggression project. We have just released it, re-released today, updated versions of Perry Willis's history of military intervention, U.S. military interventions, and it tells the story of the number of, the amount of buffoonery, the number mm. of just sheer huge mistakes, even in World War II, uh, that left the, some parts of the world worse off than they were 100%. when they started. Yep. And it, but it also constantly points out the lies that we were told. We've been told lies repeatedly. We just saw this here again with Afghanistan being told again and again and again that they were building a military, things are going the right way. These were the exact same things that happened in Vietnam. And we found out yep. later that the leaders knew they weren't telling the truth. They knew they weren't telling the truth and they told it to us anyway. Absolutely. Let me say, Dustin brings up General Wesley Clark admitted a lot of that on Democracy Now! interview. I remember that story. I do. Yes. Andrea but it was says, after the fact. Okay, I'm sorry. It Go was ahead. after the fact. No, it yes. was after the fact. That's the problem with this. I mean, you want to avoid make, doing these things before things get yes. terrible and people die and innocent people die. Collateral damage. You want to get in front of it. Uh, I, I applaud what Clark did, but it was after the fact. Yes. 
Andrea says, we are constantly lied to by media and government. I don't even know what to do about these mandates. I think that's the point, Andrea, right? I think the, the biggest problem with the mandates and all the things is, is our lack of trust in our government, in our institutions. That's the biggest issue. There's a lack of trust in general. I think she's right. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Blue Water says, I voted for Harry twice. No regrets. Yes. <laughs> there we go. Yes. I love yes. that. Mitch is bringing up how I felt. He goes, we all were. Knee-jerk reaction in a web of lives media. Yeah, I was numb. I think Mitch was numb too. A lot of us were numb. We were just like, okay, I guess we're doing this. Protect us, big government. Just, I guess you'll have to invade them so we don't get 9-11 again. I think a lot of people were. I think Mitch was like me. We were thinking the same way at that time. Absolutely. Can I jump in on this too, Larry? Because I, I, yes. I think once you start to recognize these things... Here, let me give you a heuristic to think of, right? I mean, this, is, this one's going to come as a real shock to you and your audience. So you brace yourself so you don't fall out of your chair, okay? Okay. Politicians often lie. What? Yes. What? I, what? <laughs> yes. And when you start to understand the rules of the game, when you start to see these patterns again and again and again, then you can know that there are some people somewhere when something's being propagated in the mainstream, the regime media, I call it the regime media, when it's being propagated there, you can know that these people who are pretending to be reporters who are actually stenographers for the state, you can know. Stenographers for the state. I'm so stealing that. And I might give you a little credit, but probably not. Probably not. I understand. That's how it works in comedy. You know, footnote comedy. Yes. Come on. That's good. I like Uh, that. So, uh, you, but you know that these stenographers are the, for the state, there are people laboring on the margins, amateurs, people who are doing it for the love of what they're doing, who tell, who are out there telling the truth. And you've got to go find the truth. Yeah. That, yes. Find them. And when you get to them, support them. Give them your but support. aren't they the conspiracy theory nut? Isn't that who that person <laughs> is? Right? I mean, isn't that every, every time someone says something that the mainstream media disagrees with, they are by default the conspiracy yes. theory. Now, yes, aren't they are. They? Yes, they are. Yeah, that's the that's the issue. I, I think it's a it, it drives us crazy. I, I that's the hardest part, right? The hardest part is who do you trust, right? Who do you believe is saying the truth? And 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 then there's another piece. How much can you care about? There's so much wrong. Yep. How much can you can you care about? How much can you get involved in? I mean, wow, it's just, it becomes, I feel like it's almost overwhelming. It is overwhelming. And, and, and perhaps even a bit by design, right? Because if there's so many things, uh, too many things for you to care about, and your odds yep. of winning any one of those things, thanks to uh, concentrated benefits and dispersed costs, right? Uh, your odds of winning, of being able to marshal the force necessary to stop it or seem so low, um, it seems like, you know, it's impossible to do. So what we're doing at Agenda Setters by Downsize DC to bring this full circle is we're saying, look, if, if we could just find 300 people in a congressional district who will agree to visit their congressional offices in waves of three, five, six people at a time, that pressure will begin to mount on that congressional office. And many offices will bend and begin to support good legislation, legislation that can really change how things work especially if that legislation has transpartisan value to it. That is, it, 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 yes. it's, it's common sense and it goes beyond what being a Republican or Democrat, like our One Subject at a Time Act or our Read the Bills Act does. 
Tell me about the one subject at a time. I actually, I actually want to do that in New York State, but please tell them what it is. I'm, I've already stolen that one from you like years ago, but go ahead. Good. So the one subject at a time act says that every bill has to have a clear descriptive topic limit, uh, a title limited to one topic. And then everything in that bill has to conform to that topic. And so what typically happens is clustering. They try to cluster uh, a variety of ideas together. I grew up uh, watching Schoolhouse Rock, right? Mm -hmm. So today I'm still just a bill, right? Right, yes. Okay, that video is blown. That is not what happens. It is possible to pass virtually anything by taking that thing that would never stand on its own and, and cramming it, clustering it in with something that is sure to pass. And that sure to pass bill then gets carried through. So, you know, we, we were inspired back in 2006 to go start researching and putting this bill together because we woke up one morning after one of these large omnibus bills and found out that overnight uh, a provision had been snuck in that banned online gambling. The, the Senate oh. majority leader had put that in. Now, there's been progress and change on that since then. It's a long time ago now. But that was kind of the inspiring or inciting incident. But if you go through these bills, in fact, if you go through the recent infrastructure bill, it's a horror case of mm. one thing after another that had nothing to do with infrastructure, had nothing to do with roads, railroads, post offices, nothing like that, bridges, nothing. And somehow or other, these things still got stuffed in. And they say, well, that's how the sausage is made. Essentially, what we've agreed is that if I take a bag of money and set it on my senator's desk, he <laughs> and he takes it, we're both going to jail, right? Right. I bring the money in, I'm going to jail. But if a senator comes in and says, I'll swap votes for you, and we call it horse trading, we give it a good use of Horse trading, that's right, yeah. Right, that's not bribery. That's somehow or other better or different, and they're right. allowed to do that, and they're allowed to do it with our money. They bribe each other with our money. So the one subject of the time act would say this cannot happen anymore. It's absolutely banned. And every bill that has to come up has to match the single subject provision. Now you say, Jim, Congress is uh, the most lawless institution in the land. They're not going to follow a mere rule to do this, right? So we actually have a provision in the law that says, if you find yourself in the dock, you are charged with violating a law or not paying a certain tax where this provision was not followed. You can present the evidence to the judge that the legislation was not passed properly. And the judge is to kick the case to the curb. Just kick it out. It's over with impunity. So if they want to waste their time passing laws that aren't going to be enforced, go for it, right? Right. We're saying it shouldn't be binding on you when they act in such such, uh, terrible ways. So that's the one subject of the Time Act. And it is introduced right now in the Senate and it's introduced in the House with with, uh, uh, seven co-sponsors at the moment. Well, there we go. Well, Mitch is on board too. Mitch says, right, one subject, everything government passes should be able to stand on its own. I've been saying this for years. There we go. Andrea says they packed that bill with pork. That's yep. true. Also, yes, 100%. So <laughs> I like that. These people are jumping on this. Dan says, are they even capable of common sense anymore? I have this feeling the big government genie won't go back in the bottle. I hope you can uh, prove me wrong. I hope he can too, Dan. <laughs> I really do. I hope so. Pete's liking the show. He says, very interesting show tonight. Like, comment, and share. He's right. Listen to Pete. Like, comment, share, do that. He's absolutely right. Yes, 100%. Andrea's surprised. She says, my congressman, Dick Durbin, would never lie. <laughs> Not Dick Durbin. He would never lie. I love that. It's very good. So um, I, I do want to talk about one more thing you've brought up in the past, and that is the idea of a media fast. Mm. Tell me about a media fast. That seems like 
you're asking a lot of someone like me. But so tell me about the media <laughs> fast. Go so I'm, I'm actually kind of glad you brought this up because I was tempted to say something about this in an earlier part of our, our interview when we were talking about the agenda setting aspect. If you are aware, as we discussed uh, about war, of the ways the politicians manipulate and lie, if you're aware, for example, that we exist in a conflict machine where that's the whole purpose of it is to get one side to fight with the other side. It's a divide and conquer strategy yep. where there have to be losers. If you understand that that's what our politics is, a better word for politics is conflict machine. If you understand those, these things and then you turn off the television, you take that knowledge and you turn off the television. No CNN, no MSNBC, no, no Sunday morning talking heads. Turn off your talk radio. And you do it for, I would say, a month is ideal. A month. A month. You're going to listen, Larry. I would tell people when I was in talk radio, I watch this so you don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) I I would make this joke that so I go, you know, I I have a regular appearance that I do uh, nearly every week with uh, Gary Nolan out in Missouri. Uh, and, And Gary's a great libertarian. And uh, he comes on and he says, Jim, did you watch the president's speech last night? And since I'm not in talk radio anymore, I would say no, because I hear politicians lie. And if I believed anything that he said, I would be dumber than when I started. I can't spare the (laughs) IQ points. I just can't. I got too much to do. So I don't want to watch these speeches. But uh, if you just give up this, you can do for a week, you can do it for a weekend. But I'm telling you, if like three, four weeks and then you come back, you will not see the same thing again. You will recognize all the manipulations. They'll jump out of the screen. You'll realize that this is entertainment and not news. You'll realize it's propaganda and not investigation. And when yet, and, and it, it'll just be so much more obvious to you. And you'll find it uncomfortable. Now, as I said, Larry, hard for you to do because you've got you, you. I know you got to deal with some current events here. And you got to keep up with kind of hot what's going on. I watch on. at least two hours of TV news per day and yeah. at least an hour of Internet news. Per but day. if you're splitting atoms or painting houses for a living, you really don't need to watch this stuff. And there is stuff that will edify and build you up. And you could I would even add because social media has a lot of these influences in it. If you turn that off, too. Yeah. Yes. Uh, even even just for a short period of time, what you're going to find is that you. Uh, you will spot it. It'll just be so much more evident to you and it won't be as comfortable. You won't enjoy it as much as you did. There's a lot of things in life that while you're addicted to them, you find some pleasure in them. If you can break the addiction, take a time off and then go back and you see it again, it doesn't appeal to you anymore. Well, I got to tell you, I don't actually enjoy it to be forward with you. And I often zip through it. So I I record it and then zip through it Mm -hmm. on my DVR because I don't want to watch the entire thing. I agree with you. That's one of the reasons why I watch Fox and MSNBC. I don't watch CNN hardly at all because – Oh, you have to. You have to. That's the CIA News Network. That's what the C stands for. They are the deep state. So, I So know. the MSNBC is the, is the liberal left. It's the Democratic yes. Party. The Fox yep. News is the right, Republican right. It's the Trump yes. movement right now. Yep. Uh, and in, 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 in the middle is CNN, and they are actually the deep state representatives. They are the people I, who are actually pulling a lot of strings around the planet. I – I, I, I know, but it's so hard for you to watch them. Oh, it's, it is bad. It's horrible. Oh, so hard horrible. to watch CNN. Yep. So hard. I can watch Fox and MSNBC because I know where they're coming from, right? Like, I know where they're coming from. I'm like, right. okay, I got it. That's where you're coming from. I got you. I see where right. you're coming from. And my right friends can't stand that I watch MSNBC, and my left friends can't stand that I watch Fox. But I have to watch them both so I can and, get... And by the way, the fact that they're not watching, the fact that they're not watching the other means they can't really talk to each other effectively either. 
And that's why I do that. There's completely different universes over there. Completely different. They don't cover the same stories. They don't cover it the same way. Not even close. Absolutely correct. Yes, that's why I watch both because I want to be able to talk to both. So I watch both of those. CNN is just, it's just, I can get that on on (coughs) forever. I don't want to even deal with them. Absolutely. Yes, it's just so bad. So, well, I, look, if people are liking what they're hearing, then head on over to downsizedc.org, see what they're doing, check out, you know, everything they're talking about. If you think it's something of value, you know, dig down. There's a lot of good stuff there and enjoy. And I'm so glad that uh, Jim, you able to, to, to come today, right? Yeah, so I am too. You who enjoyed it, please like, comment, and share. It does matter. You might think it doesn't, but it does matter. And if you really love me a lot, and some of you do, then throw me some cash. Head over to patreon.com slash shortway. Let me 10 bucks a month so I can keep paying my team. 25 bucks a month so I can keep paying my team so we can keep doing this stuff because reality is I'm not on social media that much, but my team sure is. They're on a lot and they're getting punished for you. So if you want to help them out, throw them a couple bucks here or there. It's great. But if you don't have those couple bucks, no worries. You can just do this instead. Take the political affiliation quiz. It's free. About three minutes. Take it, but... When you're done taking it, you have to share it. That's the critical part. You got to share it. So take it, share it. It's free. You supported me. You support our sponsors. Life is good. We keep doing this. So please do it if you can. I will really appreciate that. Um, so, Jim, did I miss anything? Something we should be talking about before we wrap this up? No, this was great. I love the fact that we managed to avoid most of the agenda setting and, and talk about uh, bigger issues and, and go deeper. Uh, into this, and I hope people gained uh, insight as a result. Absolutely, 100%. Guys, I want to say thank you so much for watching. I appreciate it. I am going to be, by the way, on Green Room this evening in about half an hour. So if anybody wants to come on Green Room, that's that Spotify, we can call in. I'll be talking about uh, climate change, the environment, and stuff like that infrastructure if you want to. And I'll also be on tomorrow night. So I will see you all very soon. <laughs>